Chapter 9 St. Charles visits all the places in his diocese infected with the plague. 1576 The plague had not confined its ravages to the city, for more than a hundred towns and villages of the diocese had suffered from it. Everywhere St. Charles was at pains to provide the same means of relief, the same prayers and processions as he had used in the metropolis. For this purpose he sent round those on whose judgment he could rely, with instructions to carry out his wishes. Difficulties were thrown in his way by the civil officers, who misunderstood his intentions, but he overcame all obstacles by prudent management. When he had brought both spiritual and secular matters into good train at Milan, he thought he could then visit the rest of his diocese without in any way neglecting the capital. Wherever he appeared, his presence seemed to infuse fresh life and hope into the panic-stricken people. Fear and despair vanished at his approach. No wonder, for by kind words and sympathy, he everywhere assuaged the sorrows of the suffering and silenced repinings, filling them with courage to endure all for the love of God and satisfaction for their sins, to win an eternal crown. Those whom he found at the point of death he cheered with the bestowal of the plenary indulgence and with fatherly consolations. He multiplied these blessings by stirring up the clergy to emulate his exertions and to devote themselves with their whole soul and strength to the service and salvation of their flocks. To those who were spared by the pestilence he likewise made it a time of edification by showing them how God's judgments were abroad and that they too might expect to perish unless they did penance for the sins which had provoked them. He denounced openly the vices of the age, rebuking those who profaned holy days and seasons by unseemly diversions or by servile work. Still more severe were his strictures on vain display in female attire, which he declared to be destructive to devotion, and the occasion of a number of sins and scandals, calling down the vengeance of heaven. His warnings were on one occasion signally enforced at Inzago, a place which had been terribly devastated by the plague. While he was preaching to the people there of the judgments of God and calling upon them to do penance, he noticed among his hearers a lady decked out in a style of ostentation little suited to the occasion. The ill-timed display called forth a a severe reprimand from the saint, who addressed her personally, pointing out her levity, and ending with the solemn denunciation, Wretched woman, thus to trifle with your eternal salvation, when you knew not that this day may not be your last in the world. The next morning she was suddenly called to her account, a calamity which brought a salutary fear on all who had heard his words. In many places huts had been constructed at a distance, in imitation of those at Milan, for the reception of the plague-stricken, and wherever this was the case, he had little wooden chapels erected, where mass might be said every day for the sick. Wherever it had been found necessary to carry the dead outside the towns for burial, he consecrated graveyards. And this rule was to him another occasion of great fatigue, for he would never omit any part of the customary ceremonies, and was consequently obliged to remain for a long time exposed to the burning rays of the sun and the exhalations of decaying corpses. The fortitude with which he endured these inconveniences was particularly remarked at Inzago, where they were more than usually intolerable. 
In his journeys, he was entirely taken up with the care of the sick, and made all his arrangements with a single view to this end. Traveling with haste, taking his scanty meals by the way, allowing himself the least possible time for sleep, and taking that little rest on a chair or a table in order not to run any unnecessary risk of infection. It required no ordinary degree of temper and judgment to keep all things in order in the midst of these difficulties. There was an impression abroad, in spite of his being continually brought into contact with desperate cases of plague, that by a special grace he could not be a means of conveying infection, and therefore no one feared to approach him. Many noblemen took pleasure in attending on his progress. Others insisted that he should go and lodge with them. Among these was a gentleman named Pozzo, who forced him, together with all his suite, to pass the night at his house in the town of Perego. Though the cardinal was very unwilling, lest there should be risk of infection, his host would take no refusal, saying he feared no danger while the cardinal was with him. His hospitality was greatly appreciated by the saint's household, who had for many nights been strangers to any better beds than boards or tables. There were occasions when the saint had to put up with very different treatment. Thus, one day at Galarato, he had taken up his quarters at the house of the rector, when the mayor of the place sent a guard of soldiers to surround it, with orders to forbid all entrance and egress, alleging that the cardinal was a suspect, and that he was determined to preserve the town from the infection. This exercise of authority over ecclesiastical persons was, of course, displeasing to the cardinal who hinted that the functionary would be incurring the censures contained in the sacred canons. The next morning, therefore, when all the chief persons came to visit him before his mass, the mayor himself being among the number, he felt it his duty to take some notice of the matter, in order that it might not be made a precedent. Accordingly, the cardinal made a remonstrance in forcible terms, tempered with his characteristic mildness, forbidding him to be present at the celebration of Mass or to enter the church, as having laid himself open to the censures of the church. Upon this the mayor humbly acknowledged his error and craved pardon of the cardinal, and his friends interposing their good offices, the saint, who desired only confession of the fault and amendment, readily released him from censure. This example served as a warning to others, so that during the whole time the plague raged, the ministers of the church were never again interfered with, and went wherever they could, provided only with the cardinal's license, without let or hindrance from anyone. The prolonged absence of the saint from Milan, at a time when communications between the different parts of the diocese were sedulously avoided, occasioned a rumor that he had fallen a victim to his zeal. It was bruited abroad not only in Milan, but in the remote towns of the province, many bishops publicly lamenting his loss, and at Verona the bishop even celebrated Mass for the repose of his soul. In Milan the mourning was loud and general, the mere thought of his death seeming to render everyone beside himself for grief. When the saint himself heard of the report, his tender heart would not suffer him to leave his people one moment longer than necessary in suspense on his account. He hastened to change their sorrow into joy by returning back to Milan with all speed. As usual, he went in the first instant to return thanks in the cathedral, and his arrival was immediately made known by the glad peals of the bells. 
This was the signal for universal rejoicing, which was greatly increased on his going to visit those who were confined to their dwellings by the quarantine, all rushing to their doors and windows to assure themselves of his presence. While all his flock thus enjoyed the benefit of his care, none received a larger share than the different communities of cloistered nuns. He kept them constantly occupied in religious exercises, praying that it might please God to preserve them from disease and to moderate his indignation against the city. Further, he protected them by wise precautions from every risk of contagion. As many of them were very poor, he took care that they should not suffer want, providing them out of his own means and begging alms for them especially at Rome, where some of the cardinals gave generous contributions to their necessities. Thus, by the grace of God, they were wonderfully preserved. To his great consolation, out of the whole number of convents in his diocese, only two were infected, and those slightly, showing that the anger of God had been turned aside with the prayers of so many of his handmaidens. The malady reached the great seminary of Milan, and there was great alarm, but owing to the precautions taken, its ravages were speedily stayed two students and one Jesuit father alone being carried off.